Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you here with us this morning. Thank you for, for joining us for worship. Uh, it is a, a beautiful Sunday morning and a good day to gather together as we come together and worship the Lord this morning. Uh, I want to point your attention to a few things in your bulletin, uh, just a, a few announcements for you. This week, you'll see that uh, Monday, we have Women's Fellowship at 7 o'clock at the Fellowship Hall. Tuesday, you'll see, uh, is, has Young at Heart scheduled there, but they are actually going to cancel it for this month. Uh, there's several members of Young at Heart that are in quarantine and, and a couple other concerns, so there will, no, what, there will be no Young at Heart this week. Uh, I think it'll just be pushed back until the next month. And then Wednesday, choir practice at 7. I also would like to remind you just to, to sign up for Children's Story and for Nursery. On your way out this morning, we, we have our, our children come up in the middle of the service to have a, a brief message. Karen is leading it this, this morning for us. Um, if you sign up, I, I typically try to reach out to you and let you know what, where the sermon, what passage we're, we're studying, and give you some guidance and direction on how to teach the, the children along the same lines. So you're not on your own by signing up for Children's Story. Uh, but we do need volunteers for that, as well as for, for our nursery afterwards. Uh, you'll notice there just uh, some words. Our church membership or people close to our church, we, we lost two people this week. Uh, Richard Petrie died uh, last Saturday, and we had his service uh, this, this past Tuesday. And then Donna Ogburn, uh, the Jackie Boss's niece, niece, she passed away this week as well. Um, there's been no announcements for, for her arrangements or anything, but... Uh, I'm sure as soon as we find anything out, we'll send out a one call now. Uh, are there any other announcements this morning? Yeah, don't forget, your, if you have stuff for the directory, please give it to me. Um, if anybody has any ideas of something special they want in the directory, um, if they have something they've written, um, you can submit it to me and we'll see if we can get it in there. Um, we do have two tributes that I, I've got to talk to Cynthia, but... Um, Rob Cudi passed away last year, so if anybody wants to write something about her, how special she was to the church, um, we can t- maybe take a few and put them in there for tributes, and I thought I would talk, maybe see if we can maybe talk to her family and get something, but if you're interested in doing something for Roxy, um, let me know, and we can um, work something out about getting that in the directory. Um, so. Yeah, that's good. Any other announcements this morning? Let me, as we uh, begin our service, I want to read to you from, um, for, from Psalm 62. It is a, a psalm of, of prayer, a psalm that David wrote, uh, a psalm of trust and waiting in the Lord. This is what, what he writes. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They only they take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Pray with me. Let us begin our worship service.
Father, as we come, as we gather this morning, we gather with the same faith and the same hope that David had when he wrote this psalm. That you alone are our rock, our salvation, our fortress. And that our refuge, our safety, our safe place, our hiding place is in you. And so, Father, as we gather this morning, as we come and begin this, this time of worship, help us. Father, send your spirit to us. Send your presence among us. That we may worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. That we may sing your praises. That we may confess sin to one another and to you. And that in Christ we may find forgiveness and grace. Be glorified in the worship and the praise of your people this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, if you will, let's sing together as we begin our our service. Our first hymn is hymn 499, He Leadeth Me. Please stand and sing. Thank you. Please be seated. At this time, Karen's going to come. Our our children can come forward as well for our children's story. Good morning. Got a big old bag today. Must be a lot of stuff in here. Patrick does send you. The information on the children's story, depending on how busy your week is or his week is, you might get it Wednesday. You might get it, get it Saturday morning at 1 o'clock in the morning when you look at your email. <laughs> or you might have to send him a, a note. But that's okay. He does help you out. 
And of course, when I first read what he was talking about, and I could use anything I wanted, so many things came to mind. But I did use a couple of things that I thought you guys would uh, think was pretty good. How you doing, Charlie? Good? Hudson, you doing okay this morning? Thank you for lighting the candles. Eddie, you doing okay? Nora, are you going to come up here with us? Please come. i got something for you. You want to help me? Okay. You can sit there. That'll be fine. Okay, so what we're talking about is what makes you feel safe? God does. Very good, Charlie. Right off the bat. <laughs> so do you have something special at home that might make you feel safe? What do you have at home that might make you feel safe? Um, Mom. Your mom. Very good. Well, how about maybe a blanket? This is Maggie's that sometimes she holds and plays with and sometimes she throws it away. But this is her lovey that she uses at Grandma's house. Okay, so that makes her feel safe there. What about a stuffed toy? Do you have something, Eddie? What do you have? You have a stuffed cat? Cool. I have, a, I have a stuffed lion. You have a stuffed lion? Well, how about this sits on the bed that Maggie likes? That's Jessica's. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm going to talk about you some more. <laughs> Does your cat have surgery in his back? That's where they stuffed him. Okay, that's pretty good. We've got to know how it's done, right, Eddie? Okay, so here, those are two things that are kind of special for our folks at our house. So, you said your mom, so that we talk about the parents. That might be something that would make you feel safe, right? Well, what about, and I see Eddie and Nora were kind of at edge with each other just a few minutes ago. Um, so was Hudson and Rachel a little bit. Rachel was trying to get him to sit in the right place. What about your sibling? Does your sibling make you feel safe? Your brother or your sister? Sometimes? Okay. Well, like I said, a lot of stories came to mind, but one that I remembered from when Jessica and Andrew were little was when Jessica was in the second grade and Andrew was in kindergarten. It was one of the first days he was going. Now, he had been to daycare for years, but something about kindergarten, he was a little uneasy about. And the principal, when she came by the classrooms, she noticed that Andrew wasn't, wasn't like she'd seen him out on the playground. So she went to him and she asked him, Andrew, what's wrong? Well, he was lonely and a little bit uneasy. And she asked him, what would make you feel better? If I could just see my sister. So the principal went to Jessica's class, and he, she pulled her out of his, her class. So Jessica goes into Andrew's kindergarten class and asks him what was wrong. I just need a hug. So Jessica gave Andrew a hug and told him he was going to be okay and to go back to his class and enjoy what they were learning. And he did. And so that was one of the ways that I first thought about whenever we thought about what would make you feel safe. And even though you might get aggravated or 
fight with your brothers and sisters, they could sometimes be your safe place too. You think? No, Hudson? When you get older, you'll know that they will, okay? And you're a good help to your brother sometimes too, I bet. So when you, we talk about this, do you not think, of course, Charlie said, or, or no, Eddie, you said God, right? Or did you say that, Charlie? I can't remember. Charlie said that. Okay. So God's our safe place too, right? When we need him, we just, go, we just call on him or run to him and he's there for us. So that's what our story's about today. We just need to remember that God is always our safe place. And all we have to do is call on him or run to him and he will keep us safe. He's always there watching over us to keep us safe. And we need to remember to tell people. Other people that we know that God is our safe place. Okay? Y'all agree? Thumbs up, Eddie. Okay. So, let us pray. Lord, thank you for this beautiful winter day and bringing us here to learn more about you. Thank you for being the safe place that we can feel safe in, like a special blanket, a stuffed toy, a hug from our parents or siblings. You always make us feel safe. Help us to tell others about your love and how you are safe, you are our safety. And most of all, Lord, thank you for these children that come to us every Sunday looking for your guidance. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, in my bag, I have a bunch of cookies and crackers. There's only four of you, so take what you want, okay? You can take one or two. Okay, you can have to. Don't mess up your lunch. Thanks, Karen. Well, as we as we do uh, every week, we say our Apostles' Creed together, and immediately after our Apostles' Creed, in our order, we. Finish the Apostles' Creed and then go straight into our doxology, which the doxology, it's printed there in your bulletin if you need the words. But it is an outpouring of of praise to God for what he has done and and what he has revealed to us. And so I invite you, as you remain seated, if you need a copy of the Apostles' Creed, you'll find one in the hymnal. But if you'll remain seated and say the Apostles' Creed aloud with me, and then as Lynn begins the doxology, if you'll stand and sing it at that time. So say the Apostles' Creed with me this morning. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Our next hymn that we'll sing together is hymn 451. If you'll remain standing and sing with us. Thank you. Please be seated.
Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to grab them. Whether it's on your phone or the blue Bible at the end of your pew, feel free to to grab whatever Bible you have with you this morning uh, and turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. We began our study of this book now almost a a year ago and uh, a few months still left before we hit the one year mark. But we are here in Deuteronomy chapter 19. And this morning we are looking at the first 13 verses of this chapter. Deuteronomy 19, beginning in verse 1. When the Lord your God cuts off the nations whose land the Lord your God is giving you, and you dispossess them and dwell in their cities and in their houses, you shall set apart three cities for yourselves in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. You shall measure the distances and divide into three parts the area of the land That the Lord your God gives you as a possession so that any manslayer can flee to them. This is the provision for the manslayer who, by fleeing there, may save his life. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past, as when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. He may flee to one of these cities and live, lest the avenger of blood and hot anger pursue the manslayer and overtake him, because the way is long and strike him and strike him fatally, though the man did not deserve to die, since he had not hated his neighbor in the past. Therefore, I command you, you shall set apart three cities. And if the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he has sworn to your fathers, And gives you all the land that he promised to give to your fathers, provided you are careful to keep all this commandment, which I command you today, by loving the Lord your God and by walking ever in his ways. Then you shall add three other cities to these to these three, lest innocent blood be shed in your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. And so the guilt of bloodshed be upon you. But if anyone hates his neighbor. And lies in wait for him and attacks him and strikes him fatally so that he dies. And he flees into one of these cities. Then the elders of his city shall send and take him from there and hand him over to the avenger of blood so that he may die. Your eyes shall not pity him, but you shall purge the guilt of innocent blood from Israel so that it may be well with you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Pray with me. Father, we, as we are here gathered this morning, we come to your word together. We come seeking your help. We come seeking your guidance. We come seeking your illumination, that you would open our eyes to see your word, to know that it is true, and to see its, its value to us. Help us to see this treasure that you've given us. For what it is. I pray that your glory, your gospel, your grace would be proclaimed to your people this morning. And that your words would go forth and bear fruit. Speak through me, Father, as I speak your words. 
in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I remember this being true of me and my brother when we were children. And now having children of my own, I see that it is just as true for them as it was for us. Kids, children, love games. Eddie and Nora are are constantly looking to play a game of some kind. It may be a board game, it may be a sport game, it may be outside or inside, doesn't matter. They're constantly looking for a game to play. And so much so that if they don't have a game to play, they make one up. And they come up with their own game to play. Those are always the best. But one game that they love to play, that me and my brother love to play when we were children, it's I'm sure many of you love to play it when you were little. Hide and seek. It's a simple game. One person's the seeker, everyone else hides and tries not to be found. Now, personally, I I always hated being the seeker. I I was so good at hiding. I loved hiding. I could find the, the best hiding spots because they were always in plain sight. Those were the best. Don't hide behind the bushes because that's where they're going to go check first. Instead, you go and stand next to the adults gathered in the corner of the sidewalk and just pretend like you're one of them. Don't don't run far away to hide, but just wait around that first corner because the seeker is going to come flying around it and run straight past you, not even knowing you were there hiding. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was a professional hide and seek player. And you know what I've realized? That I've only gotten better as the years go by. I'm still an all star hider. But I'm not, I'm not talking about the game, though. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I still love to play the game, and my kids will never beat me at it, ever. But, but the hiding that I'm, I'm talking about is, is much more of a life-and-death situation, less of a game. You see, for me, and, and I'm, I'm willing to say it for you, too, we are expert hiders, aren't we? We sin, we we make a mistake, we slip up, whether it's intentional or unintentional. Something happens that we are ashamed of and we hide. And you can hide in plain sight. You can pretend like you're not hiding. You're just talking to the adults. You're just having a normal day. Or you can hide in the shadows. Praying and hoping not to be found. But wherever you go, you're hiding. Our our passage this morning brings good news to the professional hiders here this morning. You see, as Deuteronomy gives us this picture of, uh, of a man who's made a mistake, even an unintentional one. But this mistake has led him to forever be on the run, that it has changed his life forever. So now on the run, he's hiding from someone else who will make him pay for what he's done if he's caught. Where does this man run for safety? Where can he hide in refuge? Will he make it before he's caught? Our, our plan this morning, as we, as we study this law today, as we, we look at these 13 verses of Deuteronomy 19, I want to begin first by showing you the, the practice of this law. What, what this, this law meant for Israel in, in daily life and what it also means for us. But then I want to go a little bit deeper and show you the, the principle behind the law. 
Why was this law given? What's the meaning of it? What is God trying to do in and among his people through this law? And ultimately, I want to show you the purpose of this law and really all of God's law. Because in in this law, we see a picture, a glimpse, an aspect of, of who God truly is. And what he does for us, for his people. Because although you may be the professional hider this morning, I assure you, you'll never find a better seeker than the Lord. Let's begin with the the practice, the the practice of this law. We see it really in in verses 1 through 9 of of chapter 19. Now, what begins here in chapter 19 will continue all the way into chapter 21. And it is an outworking of the commandment, you shall not kill. Because if any, any lawyers in the room or if you speak to any lawyers, they will tell you that in any law, in every law, there's always a loophole. There's always a question. There's always something that the law doesn't cover or maybe a question that arises because of the law. So even though the commandment you shall not kill or you shall not murder is simple enough. There's a question. What happens if I kill accidentally? And we're given this this hypothetical in these verses. Imagine the author says that you're. Cutting down trees. You and your neighbor go into the woods to cut down trees. And you take an axe and you swing it. And as you swing the axe, the head of the axe flies off, strikes your neighbor and kills him. It's an accident. It's unintentional. But what happens? You see, our our world is, is filled with tragic accidents like this all the time. Car crashes. And things, things that just... Accidents happen that end in the tragic loss of life. What does it mean then for the for the one who is responsible for the accident? And we're given here in this in this passage two main characters, the manslayer and the avenger of blood. The manslayer is is very clear. I, I want to be as clear as I can here that the title given to this person is never murderer. He is called the manslayer because he is guilty of manslaughter, murder by accident. And then we also have the avenger of blood. That's a debated term. It's it's not quite entirely sure what is meant by it, but it was either a family member of the deceased or an appointed position by the deceased elders. The the elders of his city could appoint a, a, a person to this special role. In this special role, the avenger of blood's purpose was to go and find the manslayer wherever he is. Go and find him and bring him to justice. And ideally, that's what this was. This was an act of justice. The avenger of blood was to pursue the manslayer and and to arrest him and bring him to the courts to be tried and prosecuted under the law. But you can read in these verses where it It warns about the avenger of blood in hot anger, pursuing the manslayer. Because what often happened was not a pursuit of justice, but a pursuit of vengeance. The manslayer committed an accident. But the blood of a family member, the blood of a relative, the blood of the deceased must be avenged. And so this avenger of blood would pursue. 
Now, to prevent the, these revenge killings, God provides sanctuaries. God provides uh, cities of refuge that he, he gives them here. Because, you see, as the avenger of blood pursues the manslayer, the manslayer is given one specific place to flee. One place that he can run to for safety. And this, it isn't mentioned here in 19, but it is mentioned in Exodus, in Leviticus, and Numbers. The safe place to be, if you're the manslayer, is the temple. The tabernacle. You run to the presence of God. You run to the altar. And that the law of sanctuary is something that we are not unfamiliar with. It was a law applied to churches all the way dating back to the Roman Empire. And carried out through the, the Middle Ages. It is even uh, referenced today. I, I don't think that it still applies the same way, but it is still uh, knowledge. It's still common knowledge that the sanctuary, the church building, is a safe place for those on the run. Whether it's minors fleeing abusive parents, spouses fleeing abusive husbands, the, the church is a place to come and hide in safety. And this we, we get, this is modeled after the temple. Because the temple was the same place of refuge. It was a place of safety. But... The temple was a very far run if you did not live close to Jerusalem. You had a long way to go if you accidentally killed someone all the way on the edge of the promised land. It was a long, long run to get all the way to Jerusalem to find safety in the temple. So what does God do? He provides extra places along the way. Three cities that, that functioned as a safe harbor, as a refuge to those who were running from danger, who were running from wrath. And this allotment that God gives these three cities even expands as the promised land expands. God says, look, if you get in the city in the promised land and you continue to expand its borders to cover the entire land, then you're going to need to add more cities as the land grows. Because the purpose of this was that these cities of refuge would be spread evenly around the nation, around the promised land. So that if an accident happened anywhere, there was somewhere safe to go, regardless of where you were. These cities were, were places of safety where the innocent could be sheltered from the, the hyper-reactive culture of vengeance as they pursued justice and were given a chance to explain what had happened. Now, our society is different a little bit from, from what is found here in Deuteronomy 19, but really not by much. You see, when someone commits an offense today, whether it's an accidental murder or maybe just a slip of the tongue where you say the wrong word at the wrong time to the wrong person. You see, ours is a culture that is quick to mete out judgment. Where justice becomes the opinion of the masses and not reality. The manslayer from our passage becomes anyone who makes a mistake. And there is no grace to be given. There is only the avenger of blood who just so happens to be everyone. But what should we do? What should the Christian do in this age of outrage, in an age of the blood avengers? I think I think these verses speak really two ways to us in this aspect. I think first we need to remember that justice takes time. Justice takes time. 
Our culture, our world does not need more people jumping to conclusions and determining judgment before anyone can bat an eye or realize what's actually happened. We need to be patient in the pursuit of justice. I agree that with the civil rights mantra that justice delayed is justice denied. I I completely agree with this. However, delayed justice is still justice. And it's still better than injustice. And so let us be sure that we are patient in our pursuit of justice and not jumping to rash and vengeful accusations and assumptions. Second, I think the church is still called to be a place of sanctuary. The church is still called to be a place of sanctuary, a place of safety. I'm not talking about the building, but the people. See, we should be the safe place for those who are running. We should be the refuge, not the avengers. We, however, though we are the people of grace, the people who have been given great grace, we are the ones who withhold that same grace from those who need it the most. It has been said that the church of God is the only army in the world that shoots its wounded. How sad a statement it is. Let the church, let us be the place of safety for those on the run. And if we do this, if we if we wait and remember that justice takes time, and if we become a place of sanctuary for those on the run, then we can still uphold the principle behind this law in Deuteronomy 19. See, in verses 10 and 13, we we are given the reason why this law was so important. And it's something that we need to consider, because if we don't understand the reason behind the law, then the law will never make sense to us at all. And we're given two reasons from the text why this commandment is given, why this thou shall not kill is elaborated to cover accidents. The two reasons are this, to protect the innocent and to pursue the guilty. To, to punish the guilty. You see, look at verse 10 with me. You'll see that the protect the, the innocent. The command for, for the cities of refuge was not like, it wasn't like rules that parents give their teenagers. Or at least how teenagers receive the rules that their parents give them. You see, the parent may say to the teenager, I need you to go clean your room. And the teenager will just graciously hear, Mom asked that if I have the time, if I'm not doing anything else, if nothing else comes up, then, and I feel like it, to please, would you mind cleaning your room? No, this is not like that. This was a requirement. These cities were, it was commanded twice here. Therefore, you shall set apart three cities. God is hammering it home. Do this. When you enter the promised land, One of the first things you should set yourself to is setting aside these three cities. Because you see, if the cities of refuge were not established, if they were delayed, if they were pushed back, we'll we'll do that tomorrow. Then what happens when a manslaughter occurs? I mean, it's an accident. Can anyone truly prepare for accidents? What happens if one occurs and these cities of refuge have not been set up? They've not been named. Where does the manslayer go? 
Nowhere. He runs for a little while, but with nowhere to run, he is eventually caught by the avenger of blood and he's killed. And now more innocent blood has been shed. And this is what verse 10 warns us about. It says you, you need to be sure that you have these three cities of refuge so that the guilt of innocent bloodshed would not be placed on all of Israel. The innocent must be protected. But we also learn that this law helps us to, to punish and pursue the guilty. We see this in, in verses really 11 through 13. As you can imagine, the cities of refuge could have been easily abused by actual murderers. But it was not to be this way. And the law here in Deuteronomy 19 protects it from this abuse. If, if someone who intentionally killed someone, Deuteron- Deuteronomy 19 says that if they laid in wait, they hid secretly, hating their neighbor, and they, they waited for the opportune moment to strike and kill their, their neighbor. And then after doing that, they would run to the city of refuge. Help me, help me, help me. Someone's chasing me, trying to hurt me. When in fact, they are the ones who had murdered. They are not the manslayer, they are the murderer. And if this happened and they tried to enter the city of refuge for safety and for, for, for hiding from justice, then here in this law, we are given the promise that justice would prevail. That any lies the murderer spewed when he entered the city would be found out. And that he would be handed over personally and directly to the avenger of blood. His place of hiding would be his place of, of being found. And again, the, the concern here, just like it is for the innocent, the concern for the guilty is for all of Israel. By pursuing and punishing the guilty, verse 13 says that they would purge the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, from the nation. I mean, the issue in both of these principles is focused on on the integrity of the people as a whole. God is calling on Israel to be holy, to be righteous, to be just, because he is holy, righteous and just. And to punish the innocent or to protect the wicked is, is, is evil. This presents a problem, doesn't it? I mean, this is this is all well and good as long as everyone in the room's innocent. Has nothing to worry about. But what if we're not as innocent as we think we are? I mean, you may have not have accidentally killed your neighbor this week, but what if there's still an avenger of blood pursuing you? What then? C.S. Lewis captures this this problem well in the Chronicles of Narnia. You see, Edmund, one of the brothers, Edmund and the White Witch had this relationship where he met her and she gave him his Turkish delight and it was this incredibly satisfying, delicious taste that Edmund loved. And the White Witch, who was evil through and through, told Edmund, go and bring your brother and sisters to me and I'll give you more of it. So he did. He betrayed them. He led them into Narnia, intending to hand them over to the White Witch for more Turkish delight. But his betrayal backfired. 
And it ended up with him being captive to the white witch and having to be rescued by his brother and sisters. And he is, he's rescued, and he's now brought safely to Aslan's side. But the problem is that, is that the guilt of Edmund's betrayal was still on him. And we learn as we read that when Aslan created this place, Narnia, there was this deep magic that was placed on the land. And the witch, referring this, speaking directly to Aslan, says, you know the magic which the emperor put into Narnia at the very beginning. You know that every traitor belongs to me as my lawful prey and that for every treachery I have a right to a kill. And so that human creature, pointing to Edmund, she says, that human creature is mine. His life is forfeit to me. His blood is my property. Edmund belonged to her. He was guilty, and the avenger of blood, this white witch, would have him. But then Aslan does something incredible. Aslan tells the white witch that she could have his own life, Aslan's life, instead of Edmund's. And so Aslan dies on the stone table, sacrificed by the white witch's hand. But as Edmund's sisters watched the very next day, the stone table cracks and Aslan comes back to life. Roaring victoriously. And Aslan explained to the two, the two girls watching, he said, the white witch didn't know the deep magic as well as she thought. If she did, she would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would break and death itself would start working backwards. I love the Chronicles of Narnia, and here's why. Honestly, not only is it, is it fantasy and it's, it's captivating, but what Lewis describes in his fantasy novel is what he also calls a true myth. It is a myth that is true. Because you see, this is, this is real. Edmund is a real person. He's you. And the White Witch is a real person. She's the serpent from Eden. She's the dragon from Revelation. She's Satan from hell. She is death itself pursuing you. Aslan is a real person. He's Jesus. He's the son of God who committed no treachery, no sin, and yet willingly put himself in the place of traitors and sinners. The innocent willingly dying for the guilty. And by doing this, he is now able to pronounce those who were guilty are now innocent. He turns to your pursuer. He turns to your avenger of blood chasing after you, claiming your life for her. And he turns to her and he says, this one belongs to me now. His life, her life is mine. I bought them with my blood. You see, you, you are guilty. But in Christ, you can be made innocent. Because he, the only true innocent person to have ever lived, died for you, taking your guilt on him. And in Christ, God made a way that involved the innocent being punished, 
the guilty walking free and justice still being preserved. Why would he do this? Why would a God who is holy and righteous and just allow the guilty, allow us to walk free while punishing the innocent and still saying justice has been done? Why this law? Why this gospel? Because that's who God is. And that's what Deuteronomy is about. This this is the purpose behind this chapter, behind these verses. It is the purpose behind all of Scripture to reveal who God is and what He has done. God's Word reveals His character. God's Word reveals His nature. God's Word reveals the work of God. And so what then, let me ask you, what then does a law about accidental axe murders reveal to us about the person, the character, the nature, and the work of God? I think that the big, the, the big truth to remember here that applies here and, and also throughout Scripture, that God's provision, when God gives things to his people, when he provides for them, he provides at, based on his character. So, so what God gives to us is who he is to us. Jesus picks up this analogy speaking of the, the manna that God gave to Israel in the wilderness. He says, God gave you bread from heaven. And Jesus says, I'm the true bread from heaven. So what God gives reveals who he is. So what is, what is God giving here to Israel in Deuteronomy 19? He's giving them cities of refuge. He's giving them safe places to hide. So God then is our city of refuge. God then is our safe place to hide. Scriptures proclaim this truth about him more more in the Psalms than anywhere else. But just listen to a few of the the Psalms. Psalm 9 is this song of praise. It's recounting the wonderful works of God. And it says, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Psalm 46 God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. Psalm 16, which is this cry for help. He says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. Psalm 118, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Psalm 34, praising God's goodness and and, and how he saves and encouraging others to come and, and taste his goodness of the Lord's salvation. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And the psalm ends saying, affliction will slay the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None, none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. None. See, what this means is that God is our safe place. God is our fortress. God is, is our city of protection, of our city of refuge. That when you find yourself in trouble, when you find yourself oppressed 
and assaulted and pursued by sin and by Satan and by anything else that the world can throw at you. When you are on the run, God says, run to me. Run to me because I will keep you safe. I will be your shield. I will be your walls. I will be your fortress. You will have nothing to fear when you come to me. The beautiful thing about this is this is a reversal of Eden. Remember when Adam and Eve ate the fruit? The fruit that God had commanded them explicitly, don't eat this fruit. And they eat it. And in that moment, they both realize their nakedness, their shame begins to just pile up. And as they're standing there with the bitten fruit, their nakedness in the garden, and they hear the Lord coming. They hear him walking. And so what do they do? They run and they hide. You see, our our professional hiders, we get it from our ancestors. They run and hide and they cover themselves in bushes and, and they cover themselves in fig leaves as if that covered anything. Their sin and their shame drive them away from God. They, they run away from God in the very moment that they needed him the most. They run the other way. And so it is with us. I mean, t- you tell me, in your sin, do you not hide in the shadows? Do you not minimize the, the, the nature of your sin? Do you not justify and explain it away? Do you not fear judgment? Is this not why you hide? But you see, in these hiding moments, what happens is we forget. We forget the truth of Scripture that we find in verses like Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The debt is paid. The sin is atoned. And yet, how easy it is for us to still live as if judgment is waiting around the corner, ready to crush us. Why does shame rule where Christ has freed? Loved ones, hear me on this. The Lord is your hiding place. He is your safety net. He he is your stronghold and your fortress. And in Christ, he has reversed the curse of Eden for you. So that you don't have to run for cover when he gets near you. You don't have to hide in the bushes anymore. But you can run to him even when you're covered in sin. Because in that moment, you do not need to fear judgment from him because the judgment that was reserved for you has already been given to someone else. And now you and I can freely confess sin. We can bring the deeds of darkness out into the light and say, Father, forgive me in the name of Christ. We can come out of hiding and we can come out of the shadows and we can live in the light of his grace. Because this is who he is. So here we are, this group of professional hiders. Waiting and hoping and praying that we are not found out. That we are not discovered, that 
our shadows will stay dark. And we can pretend that we're not hiding or we can we can pretend that that there's no shame. We can pretend that we're not trying to cover things up for another day or another week or another month or another year. You know what I found? Whether I'm playing hide and seek with my children or I'm hiding from the Lord. Hiding is exhausting. It is. It is. It's exhausting. I don't, I don't know what or, or where you're hiding this morning, but, but I do know this. You've got to be tired of it. Because you see, that fear of being found out, that fear of being discovered, of all your secrets being exposed, it's paralyzing. I mean, isn't it? It, it? It's to the point that you, you're afraid to move because what if you, you move and then someone sees you? Someone finds out what you've done. You see, this is the best part. Though you are in hiding, God is the one seeking you. He is pursuing you. He is calling you. He is drawing you to him by his grace. And when he finds you, and, and find you he will, when he finds you, it is not to shame you, to judge you, or to condemn you, but to find you and redeem you, to free you, to adopt you, to save you, so that you never, ever have to hide ever again. Church, it's time to stop hiding. It's time to to come out of the secret places and be found. God is is not offering you a a city of refuge. He's not offering you a a, a place, a, a building. He is offering you himself. The true refuge. And the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to run away anymore when he gets close. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made or what shame hangs over you this morning, what burdens you are now carrying, you can stop hiding and draw near. This is why Hebrews 4 reminds us with great encouragement. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Adam and Eve hid in a bush covered with a fig leaf. You can hide in Christ covered with his blood. And finally, there in Christ, be safe. Because he, the Lord, is our refuge. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this, this word. Forgive us for the times that we've hidden, the times that we've run, the times that we've fled from you. And teach us in this moment of confession, in this time of repentance, teach us what it means to run to you. Even in sin. Even in times of our greatest need, help us to draw near to the throne of grace and receive mercy.
Father, send your spirit among your people this morning and, and convict us of sin. Open our eyes to the ways that we are hiding, even when, if we don't even know it. Help us to see it. Help us to see our guilt and to come running to you, our safe place, our refuge. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we respond to the preaching of God's word every week, uh, we take communion together. Uh, Ron is at the back. If you don't have uh, one of the communion elements, uh, just raise your hand. He'll bring one to you. But let me just give you a word of instruction as we as we come to the table. The table is is a great reminder of what Christ has done. It is a, a visible. A visible taste. That refreshes our mind when we forget what the cross really was about. Because you see, the cross, the reason that Christ had to die was because you and I were actually, we were, we were guilty. And are guilty. Our sins covered us and we could not be with our creator, with, with the Lord. And in the cross, we are reminded of what our sins cost. The wages of sin is death. If you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, and by that I, I, I want to be clear, I don't mean that you've never been to church before. When I say you are not a Christian, I mean you have not placed faith in Christ for salvation. That you have not come running to him in refuge, saying, Father, forgive me, help me, save me, protect me. If that's not you. And this may be your tenth time in, in worship with us this morning. It may be your thousandth time in worship with us this morning. If that's not you, if you have not said those to Christ, if you have not clung to him for rescue, then this does nothing for you. I'm just putting cards on the table. This does nothing for you. And so rather than take this, I would encourage you to put it down and take Christ instead. Come to the refuge. Come to the safe place. If, if you are a believer, you have professed faith in Christ, you, you belong to the body of Christ. Whether that's this church or another church, if you belong to the body as a disciple of Christ, then the table is for you. And this table does wonderful things for you. Not that it reminds or makes you any more holy, but that, it, but that it simply just refreshes your memory. Reminds you of your own sin and what it costs to free you of it. And reminds you of what's to come. So as we gather, we come to the bread first. And the bread, Christ took it and he broke it for his disciples and he said, This bread is my body which is broken for you. And every time we eat it, every week as we gather at this table, we do so with him in mind. Because we do it with, in remembrance of him and what he did for us. The body of Christ broken for you. And while the bread points us back 
It points us to the cross. It points us to the death of Christ. Let me assure you, church, Jesus is no longer dead. He is alive. He has been resurrected. Because three days after they buried him in the ground, he walked out of the grave they buried him in. And his blood that was shed was sufficient to cover your sin and my sin and everyone's sin who believes in him. And he ascended into heaven with a promise to his disciples and a promise to us that he would return. And so here we are waiting. Even 2,000 years later, we are waiting. But we are waiting with a hope that is sure that our Savior, our King, will return. To the king. Let's close our, our service this morning by singing one, one final hymn together. Hymn 428, When Peace Like a River. Please stand and sing.
is well. As we close, our benediction this morning is the Great Commission, which is printed there in the bulletin for you. We say it together every week because as we leave from here, Christ has given us one final command to go and make disciples, teaching them what he has commanded. And so I invite you to say the Great Commission aloud with me this morning. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go in grace.